0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for my podcast, Great New American Essays. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's focus is on Solstice Magazine, as well as a collection of essays titled Remembering the Alchemists" by the magazine's creative nonfiction editor, Richard Hoffman. Richard is the author of seven books, including two memoirs and four books of poetry. He's won a Massachusetts Book Award for his poetry, and he is an emeritus writer in residence at Emerson College. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Dan. Absolutely. Thank you for being here, PJs and all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you divulged my secret.
1: I, I have, but uh, yeah, the first of several, we hope. Um, so tell me a bit about Solstice Magazine. The subtitle is the slogan: "A Magazine of Diverse Voices." How would you see it positioned? What's its its niche among the literary magazines out
0: there? Well, I think it's been finding its way now for sixteen years, and <laughs> uh, and uh, and that's a good thing. I'm like, uh, you know, being being a poet and essayist, uh, uh, improvisation is my bread and butter. I mean that uh, if it's If you're not improvising if you're not out on the front edge uh trying to trying to see which way to go uh you're not doing it you know just as
1: robert frost said no surprise for the writer no
0: surprise for the reader exactly exactly and and i think that solstice has been out there on that edge for for 16 years now with um with a an awareness uh from its beginnings that um we as a culture are only as healthy as the uh, mix of voices that are allowed into the conversation um and that uh, the longer we remain uh separate from one another segregated if you will uh, which uh it was the, is for many decades the literal cause of this uh vacuum in american culture um that uh, Without bringing in those voices, wherever they are, whoever they are, whoever whoever um, submits to the journal, whoever participates in uh, the community of, of Solstice, um, it, that's all to the good. I mean, that is the commitment of the magazine. Uh, sure. and,
1: wow. and over those 16 years, what would you say maybe one or two things that have most struck you as changes in that literary landscape that you want to talk about here?
0: Um, well, I can only I, I will only talk about the nonfiction. Uh, sure. D- oh yeah, no, that's what I would prefer sure. you do. Yeah. Um. But I would say that uh, we've moved as I think the American essay has moved from the particular uh recounting of personal events to uh, a search for the meaning and larger context of. Those personal events, without ter- ever turning away from the uh, the acuity of, of, of or particularity of an experience, uh, the essays that I have selected over sixteen years that I've uh, that I've valued the most have been those that really ask hard questions and interrogate experience that don't merely recount it.
1: Okay, uh, I-, I like that a lot, um, and I agree with you. That's my own. Their predilection as well, um, you know, b- bring bring something to the party um, beyond just
0: yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, and bring and bring questions. Yeah, yeah, um, bring, your, bring your questions. That's what makes great conversation. And I keep going back to Montaigne and the idea that the essay is is conversation, and that uh, you know uh, the history of the, uh, of the essay going back to Montaigne has to do with the loss of his <laughs> Uh, who died young, and who was someone he took uh, daily walks with and conversed about all manner of things. And in his grief, uh, when he retreated to his uh, his family's uh, home, his, his family's vineyard home, uh, uh, he continued that conversation with his friend on paper and, and writes about how this is this is what he's doing. Um,
1: yeah. And it's also, it's literally, I like to think of the essay as a walk, not as a military march. And uh, if it wanders off the path for a bit just to get to a, a further goal, all the better. I, I'm curious just on one thing on the format for Solstice. Uh, lately, I've seen that the graphic lit is in between the fiction and the nonfiction. What's, I know we're outside of nonfiction per se, but any thoughts on graphic
0: lit as a literary form? Um, sure. I think that. Uh, I don't know about whether you want to put it between fiction and nonfiction, or whether you want to ascribe any significance to that format. But I, was, I wasn't yeah. sure there was. I, I, was, I wouldn't be that sure you. You. either. I'm not sure there is either. Uh, but I think that it, in a way, we are a visual culture. We're very, uh, uh, you know, people are getting their information visually, so they're interested in doing mm-hmm. that. And I think it may be. Um, you can look at it a couple of ways you could be an old curmudgeon and, and, and think about well doesn't anybody appreciate good prose anymore and uh, or you can you can look and actually see what's happening there and what's happening there is the birth of a uh, uh i don't want to say a new form but uh, the rebirth of a, a form that is as old as humanity which is the union of the image and the and the word yeah, so know,
1: I I have a you know uh, minor in college in art history, so uh, I I have no problem with the the visual word, and there are moments where I despair that we're in a post-literate society, but at other moments I take the upside and say we're just going back to you know caveman and cavewoman, and uh, we've always used visuals to help us communicate.
0: Well, not only that, I mean they're they're extremely sophisticated. You know, uh, I uh, one semester in my nonfiction class at Emerson college, I, I used Alison Beckdell's work. And, you know, you just start noticing details, you know, little details of something that's on a desk or something that's hanging on the wall, or uh, there's a mirror on the wall and it's reflecting something else. And I mean, the, the, that's not at all different from uh, understanding how that adjective works in this sentence or why the syntax is turned around. Uh, it, it's a it's a kind of uh, attention that it requires when it's in the hands of a, an artist. And,
1: sure. Although I, I really wasn't putting down, uh, I will say, I wasn't putting down caveman and cavewoman art because <laughs> you know, Picasso, I, Picasso, when he went into the caves that were discovered in France, thought, thought they were a lot better than uh, a lot of his own work and some of his contemporaries. He was very impressed by what he saw. But um, we'll, we'll leave that part where it makes, I want to get to the essay. So, the collection I was looking at online uh, had some award winners, and one of them was How Much Time Do You Want for Your Progress? by Alan Price. And he says at one point, every night I'd kneel by the side of my bed and ask Jesus why whites thought I was the pole star of evil. I'd stare at him, staring at me, and beg him to remove the blackness. He had cured the sick so he could cure me. I mean, that that's a troubling and poignant passage, and I'd I'd, I'd welcome your thoughts on the essay itself and also why you and fellow editors chose it as as the the winner.
0: Well, I must say first of all that the uh, the judge for that prize, the Michael Steinberg award, named after my uh, my colleague Michael Steinberg, whom we still miss terribly um died three years ago, I believe it was three years ago. Um, was that judge was Grace Toluson. Uh, uh, And so she chose that essay from the uh, handful of essays that we sent over to her. Well, I think we sent her a dozen out of uh, all of the submissions for that award. Um, I value that essay uh, tremendously because uh, it's one part of the body politic talking to another, which is the, the, the promise of the essay. The promise of the personal essay and the memoir is to knit back together uh an america that has been torn into shreds and uh i love that essay because of the way it begins it begins in deeply inside that uh narrator as a boy as an american african-american boy uh and moves outward through three repetitions of the of what the boy has written in his notebook until we've come to, he's gra- he, he has come to terms with that as an adult, rereading what he'd written as a boy, and then presenting it a third time to us, and then taking off from there. The other thing I loved about that essay was, it began with a quotation from Moses Horton, and, uh, and then begins uh, stitching together his experiences as light has been shed upon them by other African American writers who went before him, and and to me as a writer, that is just when you locate yourself within a tradition. Sure. When yeah. you when you honor your forebears and you try to build on what they have left you, you're really doing the work. You're doing the work of trying to open things up uh, and uh, illuminate matters for your readers.
1: Sure. No, I um. My master's in creative writing was from Brown University. I was lucky enough to have Michael Harper as my professor. And Michael was a great teacher, first of all. So impassioned as a teacher. But he always would build the bigger context, the meeting. And you want to talk about asking tough questions. Michael was certainly prepared to do that. Um, Yeah, I I love what you just said about the three repetitions. I, I got a vision in my mind of like a tree growing its rings outwardly and getting stronger and more
0: stout and more substance to it as it goes. Um, well, it was beautiful because it's also a poetic approach. It's a, it's where the way that the language is being used is as much of the message as the content that's being carried sentence by sentence. And so in the beginning, I I, I read it, and it was I had to shift and think, well, I'm going to read this the way I, I read a poem because it, it – I didn't understand why he, what why are we why is this being repeated three times and why is this in italics and all jammed together and now it and then it isn't and then it's presented uh, more formally a third time I, and then I just and then I got it you know when I start to think about it uh, as a poet and think about it, the way poets use language uh, I saw how he was literally approaching the material he was he had to get from deep inside out and into uh, the yeah. uh, into the public sphere where he could have this conversation with us about what it's like to be a, a Black boy in
1: America. Yeah, no, very, very nicely said just then, And uh, for me, a little extra emphasis because uh, I happen to live when I'm home in the summer months, about four or three miles from where George Floyd was murdered. Um, so uh, all that was unfolding. <laughs> pretty much just on the edge of my neighborhood. The precipitating
0: event for that essay.
1: Yeah, the precipitating event. Uh, let's go to one other uh, choice from the editors just quickly. It's A Minute of Silence by Adriana Paramo. And she's talking about um, her relationship with her mother, because I want to move in a moment to your essay about your mother. Uh, so that's probably the reason why I chose it. And uh, in her case, it's, it's uh, kind of an excruciating circumstance where their mom wants to verify her virginity and she says at one point, mom owns me, defies me. I am because she is. She is my alpha and omega. If I anger her, I cease to exist for days, weeks, months. Very strong stuff. Um, especially since you've written about your mother yourself. I wonder how you responded to
0: this essay. Well, I responded to it, I think, as a, a, a missive from the other side of the gender wall, a uh, uh, it's, I have written a great deal about the trials of boyhood and in the ways that we understand gender, and uh, but I, I've never read anything quite so powerful about the stresses that um, girls suffer uh, when uh, when they don't have an ally, when when people who ought to be your allies, like your parents, are aligned with. Uh, a, a rigid ideological or religious or cultural framework that traps a kid in it yeah the honor societies yeah yeah writing and about m- yeah mother is very much the enforcer there uh, yes. in the say and uh it's not uh it's not a sentimental essay <laughs> just, no no it's well, not i love my wonderful mommy who did all this wonderful stuff for me it it isn't uh I mean, I think that she goes a distance to understanding um, her mother's fear-based enforcing of that. Uh, but it, there's there's not a whole lot of, sh- there's no shrugging in it. There's no shrugging and doing the easy forgiveness of, you know, I ah, she did the best she could. No. Uh, but interestingly enough, she lands uh, in that final paragraph at a kind of... Uh, uh, Appreciation for the defiance that she was able to muster as an adult, and to have a full uh, and rich, uh, erotic and relational life. Um, And in a way, she's saying to her mother, "So there, (laughs) yeah, your your craziness didn't defeat me."
1: Yeah, Um, I learned to nurture myself, even if I wasn't feeling I was quite getting the nurturing
0: exactly and i think i appreciate that because it doesn't uh uh minimize the injury uh or the struggle to uh surmount the consequences of that injury but it doesn't um it doesn't curl up and play the victim either and uh and i think that that's a very important place to get to um not not everybody's there i mean it's not i'm not making a prescription here you know it's not a question of you know suck it up i, I are from it and and nor do i take that from her essay i think that there's a long um um struggle to uh to move past those injuries and and um and, and you
1: know, might not in an undue way lash out at her mom. she's not getting her own uh identity affirmed by you know putting down her mom per se exactly, she said exactly, yeah
0: exactly
1: yeah. So, so let's let's come jump over the the gender wall as you described it, and uh, go to one of your essays uh, from remembering the alchemist. This one's called the egg, and, and it's about your your mom. And there's a point where you say, I think that after a certain age, seven or so, I was no longer a child, but something else called a boy, which is a different creature entirely. And you said that yeah, you became your father's son and you, not your mom's child, but now looking back. Many decades later, uh, there there are you know some grief and some regrets there. Um, please please go ahead and uh, add to that if you don't mind.
0: Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the p word right out of the box here. Uh, we live in a patriarchy, um, and boys are, are children who are conscripted into that arrangement, um, and there are a lot of false promises involved in that conscription. And the falsity of them might be uh, evidenced by, oh, I don't know, Arlington National Cemetery, for example. Or, um, you know, you, you get my drift. But, but the first injury is the separation from your mother. Uh, and uh, at least in my case, and, in, and I, this was, you know, in my conversations with other men, there seems to be a kind of um, yeah, uh, nodding acquaintance, at least, with this business of, of being suddenly a boy and, not, and with expectations to become a man and a prescription about what that means as opposed to just getting older and becoming more yourself every day. Um, and uh, it, it was... The abandonment of my mother's expectations and influence on me—that was, in some ways, uh, particular to my family because my two brothers were ill with muscular dystrophy and required a great deal of care. So uh, my uh, my mother's time was taken up a lot with caring for them. Uh, but it was also congruent with the larger um, with some larger forces in the culture that were. Uh, pulling me away from her and the the real uh, the tragic dimension of that was born in on me when she died young and I realized uh, I had lost her a long time ago and I didn't have this, uh, uh, this connection or familiarity with her and there were things that were that I had bought into which in fact estranged me from her uh, further um,
1: I have actually been making some road trips with my mom in the last couple of years because I I don't want to have a point of grief that I didn't do as much as I could to have the connection there. And I think in my dad's case, because he was condescending and he condescended to both my mom and to me, I became an honorary female, I think, in my household in some fashion and therefore also a feminist because I objected to uh, the condescension. Uh, but uh, i i i find very very significant what you're saying i think there's a lot of push in society uh to to make that separation and go a a young man's route whatever that
0: means which is often uh, a lot of empty promises mm-hmm. yeah i i would say that i'm uh i'm the, the longer i reflect on her life and on her character uh, the more i appreciate her strength incredible strength uh, uh in the face and, and of also and also her wit actually because based on what you yeah, covered yeah, in the essay yeah. yeah yeah her liveliness and her resilience and all of that um and then the shadow of that is that i feel once again the grief at having missed that now i'm not a, i'm not being able to appreciate it while she was with us um and uh, you know that I, I i can't change that but i can i can honor it by writing about it fair and, and, you, and you did. you did,
1: Yes. Um, so last place I wanted to get to, since you brought up the P word uh, about where to go, um, I'm talking about the title piece, Remembering the Alchemist, which has a lot to do with what Eisenhower would have called the in- military industrial complex. Um, but uh, you say there's some very strong, I think, on target things here. Uh, you say we are a nation always at war. You said that gun has been front and center in American film and television since their inception. Um, You know, I think those are spot-on comments. Uh, In the time we have left, I want to give you a chance
0: to seize the microphone and and say
1: what you might on on this
0: notion, this topic. I guess the the simplest way to put it is that um, uh, weapons used to be made in order to fight wars. And since the beginning of the 20th century, uh, just post-Industrial Revolution, uh, at least since the First World War, uh wars have been made in order to manufacture weapons and make uh, unimaginable fortunes which began with uh, zachariah basilio zakharov or zed zed a figure who not many people know about and was very careful to hide most of his dealings but was the founder of british petroleum and uh became was knighted by uh, the the british government by the queen um and was a player in the first world war and and again in the second as an arms dealer who could simply uh do what he learned to do as a boy when he was working for the fire department in istanbul as an arsonist um and uh he would get the um sole right to uh pedal or 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 sell a particular kind of armament a submarine a machine gun uh, a, a a tank and you know uh if the greeks are fighting the turks he said goes to the turks and he sells them two of these tanks and then he crosses over the border and goes to greece and says yeah i just sold two tanks to the turks boy they're gonna kick your ass you better get
1: you better get three. you better get three or yes sir, or
0: more you yeah. know and then and back and and you know, I, I grew up in the fifties during the arms race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, and I so I'm I I come down on this uh question of nation states and all of that, and thinking that there's a that you know I don't want to go down the conspiracy theory rule. It, it's just follow the money. A huge amount of our uh, national budget is is given over to the production of arms and the sale of those arms to other countries and we try to keep those wars at arms length away from our shores yeah
1: no, uh, as my fellow Minnes, minnesotan bob Dylan said money doesn't talk it swears uh, to you, who yeah. really cares yeah um yeah, yeah no it's it's unfortunate but I, I thought the essay was amazing including the, the the bp connection that you just mentioned uh that, that really yeah you know, if i was british i'd say that i was gobsmacked by that um uh, yeah
0: that, yeah that's, it's uh, a, it definitely it's a uh, running in the background of that essay would be uh, since you brought dillard would be masters of war you built the big guns you built the death planes you built all the bombs and uh it's very emotional for me right now because uh until last week i was worrying over my dear friend the poet mosab abu Taha, who was in gaza with his wife and three children um who has now made it through Rafa into Egypt um and uh so suddenly I was one of the people on the planet tuning in every morning immediately have I heard from Mosab has he posted anything is he alive you know and uh, in the meantime uh, these uh these armaments built by uh General Dynamics and Boeing and Raytheon, uh, and given to Israel are pulverizing Gaza and it's killed nearly 20,000 civilians by now, uh, 30 of them kids.
1: Yeah, and most of whom
0: don't have any place to go. Yeah, right, right. No, it's, yeah. Like, it's, it's a horrible situation, but uh, it, it is a situation produced by this. Uh, deal with the devil that we made somehow a long time ago to to uh, put morality aside when it comes to um selling guns whether they're uh handguns uh in the neighborhoods or ar-15s to shoot up theaters and and concerts and or whether they're um rockets tanks and bombers um it's all the same industry and it yeah, takes just
1: the scale, the scale changes and the velocity, but yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Richard, so much for being my guest. This has been uh, the next episode of Great New American Essays. Uh, Richard is a editor at Solstice Magazine. He's also written a recent essay collection called Remembering the Alchemist. So, on behalf of Richard and myself, take care and be well. Until next time.
0: Thank you, Dan.